Well, hey, this morning, I'm excited to share with you all. I'm excited to, uh, to give a little bit of my, of my heart. Um, I was going to say preach, but I don't want to preach to you. I never want to preach to you. I want to uh, be able to come alongside and look at the Word of God and, and all grow closer to the Lord Jesus. And today in this passage is one of my favorite passages. The Lord has used uh, this passage at an early age in my life uh, to really transform how I view ministry. And I, this is a message that I've actually been wanting to share with you, uh, the campus of independence, um, from the beginning. And, and today is the day. So I'm excited to share a little bit of vision and my heart. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke 5, 1 through 11. It is the calling of the disciples. Luke 5, 1 through 11. Here we go. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked to put him, or he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed such a large number of fish that their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who are with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. Amen and amen. And I'm going to do something a little different than what you're probably used to. I'm actually going to retell and recap that whole story and give a little commentary from my perspective as I immerse myself into the scriptures. All right, so I promise you this. I'm not going to stray away from the facts. All right, we will never do that here at Grace Fellowship Church. But I do want to give you maybe another lens of viewing scripture, right? The word of God is living and active. I believe that it is a sin to bore people with the stories of Jesus. So I'm just going to retell it and hopefully it will be a blessing for you. Here we go. Well, it's important to note that when Jesus began his public ministry to the world, the ministry of fulfilling this messianic prophecy found in uh, Isaiah 61 of bringing the good news to the poor, of liberty to the captives, sight for the blind, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor to the people. Crowds upon crowds came near and far just to get a glimpse of who Jesus was. For everyone wanted to be around him to hear the word of God, to see his next miraculous healing. There was this mystery around Jesus of where did he come from? Who were his parents? Where did he get all this learning? Like he was from out of this world or something. 
drew you to want to know more. See, the people were tired of the same old religious leaders always condemning and talking down to them like they were better than them. They were all talk and no action. Their lives did not reflect what they proclaimed. And because of this, the people were discouraged and oppressed. But when Jesus spoke, people listened. For he spoke with power and authority. He gave the the words of life, eternal life, as his words uh, cut to the depths of your hearts with conviction and truth. Jesus spoke about who you are, who you were created to be, and more importantly, who God is and what he's like and how you and I can have a relationship with him. Well, on this particular sunny day, the crowds were so large that Jesus couldn't adequately preach to them. And so he saw two boats on shore with some fishermen washing their nets. Now, we all know that you don't wash your nets before you go out to fish. No, you wash your nets after a long day. For washing your nets was the last thing you needed to do before you can wrap up and call it a day. Well, Jesus had this this bright idea And he sees Simon Peter and he goes to Peter and said, hey, Peter, is this your boat? Well, yes, Jesus, it is. Well, I need you to do me a favor. What's that? I need you to row me out a little ways from land so I can keep this sermon going. So Peter said, easy enough. And so Peter and Jesus rowed a little ways from the shore and they're sitting in the boat. Now imagine this, Peter and Jesus in the boat, you got a hillside, kind of similar, maybe like this, yet you're on a hill. They're all sitting down, and Jesus is communicating. He's giving a sermon, the words of life. God of the universe communicating to his people. And who has a front row seat? It's Peter. Peter has a front row seat. And I can imagine just putting myself in Peter's shoes. I'm thinking, wow, this is a lot of people. All right, I'm just an ordinary fisherman and all this. I'm going to be the talk of town. There's like a thousand people just staring at me. I'm going to be the coolest guy uh, the next day. Or maybe he wasn't concerned about the crowds at all. Maybe he was so enamored by Christ that he was in his very presence. Remember last week when I shared 2 Corinthians 4, 6? It says this, that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. Peter had a front row seat to the glory of God. I can imagine of what Jesus' face looked like as he radiated with beauty or as the sun shined upon him or maybe it wasn't even the sun. I can see Peter on the edge of his seat being drawn to the words of of life that this man is proclaiming. His heart and his affections are turning upside down within him as he is face to face with his creator. Yet he didn't know it. He just knows how he feels And see, the story, guys, is is not about the crowds. For Jesus loved the crowds, but he knew that the crowds would come and go. This story is a story of Peter and how his life was changed forever.
See, there was no coincidence that Jesus picked Simon Peter's boat out of the two. It's no coincidence that Jesus specifically asked Peter to row him a little from the land. For Jesus, since the beginning of the world, knew at this moment, this exact moment, that Peter would give his life to him. He would surrender his heart. And the story continues as Jesus essentially says, as the sermon comes to an end, hey, Peter, let's go fishing. Go ahead and row to the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Here's Jesus giving tips to Peter on how to fish. I just have to pause for a moment, okay, guys? This is Peter's job. Like, this is his livelihood. He's the professional fisherman. Like, he does this each and every day, eight hours a day to put food and fish on the table. Literally, it wasn't a glamorous job, but it was what he was good at. And here Jesus is telling Peter how to fish. All right, I kind of compare it to, it's like me telling Tom Brady, the goat of all goats, all right? Goat means the greatest of all time, by the way. All right, Super Bowl, go Bucks. All right, the goat of all goats. Hey, Tom, hey, on uh, the cover two defense, hey, just try to throw the ball a little harder, like just zip it in a little faster so you can score a touchdown. And Tom's like, who are you? Oh, well, I'm Eric, you know, from Kentucky. I went to Thomas Morse, D3, you know, college. Uh, I, I played quarterback, so uh, you should listen to me. And Tom's like, all right, yeah, see you, dude, uh, weirdo. If I'm Peter, I'm thinking, Jesus, aren't you a carpenter? <laughs> like, what? You're a carpenter. When's the last time you fished? Um, but what does Peter say? Well, let's look. He says, master. It's an interesting choice of word to call Jesus master. We'll get to that later. We toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. See, Peter is basically saying, Jesus, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. That's like the worst feeling when you go fishing is catching nothing, by the way. He's like, we're tired, we're exhausted, and now you want me to throw the nets overboard? I'm going to have to clean the nets, Uh, Jesus. Like, I don't want to do that. No, he doesn't say that. He says, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Here is the second act of obedience from Peter. You guys know what the first was? So Jesus asked Peter to row him a little from the land, right? He obeyed. And because of these simple acts of obedience, Peter experienced the greatest catch of his life. The greatest catch. And so Peter threw the nets overboard, all right? These nets had weights, and they would sink to the bottom. And, you know, ideally, how the nets work is you would, you would catch fish of whatever, you know, swims in it. And so the nets are sinking to the bottom. Peter's waiting a little bit, and then he starts to retrieve the nets. But these nets are not normal. This feels different than all the other times I went fishing I think we got a huge fish. We got the mother load of all mother loads. And by the way, I don't know where mother load came from. Just when I read this story in this large number, I just think of mother load. So I'm going to use that. All right. So he has the mother load and he's pulling, but there's a problem. The nets are beginning to break. 
All right, and if the nets break, then all the fish are going to get out. And so he's kind of panicking and he signals to his partners, hey, James, John, over here. Hey, we got the mother load of all mother loads. Help, hurry, get over here. And so James and John are, you know, in their boat and they're like, oh, there's one of Peter's fishing stories, fishing tales. They're like, you know what, let's just go and kind of row over there and, and see what he's up to. And as they get closer, they start to realize, no, Peter and Jesus have this huge catch. We got to hurry. We got to go faster. So they're rowing faster to get over there. And they all, hands on deck, grab the nets. And they're pulling with all their might just to get the fish in. And they secure the fish. And I can just imagine uh, the disciples' excitement. They're astonished. Look at all these fish. This is amazing. And yet, there's a problem. The boat begins to sink, right? First it was the nets, and now the boats are beginning to sink. By the way, do you know how hard it is to sink a boat? Like, it's really, really hard. Like, you have to try, and even that is very, very tough. And so now the boats are beginning to sink, and I can just uh, picture Jesus in the stern just laughing and laughing at the disciples. And I love this about God. I love that this uh, detail is in the word of God. And here's why. Because I believe that God takes great pleasure of lavishing, lavishing his love and his abundance on his children. That God takes great pleasure lavishing his love and his abundance on his children. Now, here's what I'm not saying. This isn't a prosperity gospel. This isn't a name it or claim it. Here's what I mean. My point is that whatever limited expectations that you have about God of who he is and what he can do, God loves to shatter them. He loves to shatter them because we are finite. He's infinite. We are limited. He's unlimited. And we see this in scripture, right? We see this in this catch of fish, right? That the boats are sinking. What? We see this with Jesus turning water into wine, right? The first miracle, all right? When all the wine ran out and and Mary's like, you know, the party must go on. Hey, go, go to Jesus. He'll tell you what to do. And he takes the water and he turns to the wine. And it's not just any wine. It's the best of the best. So much that the host says, usually people save, uh, the, you know, the best wine, uh, I think it's for first, and yet you saved it for last, right? It's this overflow. And John 1, you know, I've shared this with you guys. It talks about that in Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, And the Old Testament talks about his mercies never end. They never come to an end. They are new every morning. It also talks about when it comes to the forgiveness of sin. Jesus says, or the word says, as far as the east, I don't know which way is east, by the way. All right, east is from the west. That's how far he has removed his transgressions, your sin from you. East from the west, like there's no ending He loves to shatter our expectations. And yet, here we see Peter in the midst of this miraculous, this unbelievable catch, realize what is truly going on. See, Peter realizes that there is something greater in his midst. 
Peter realizes that the God of the universe is in his boat. And immediately he sees Jesus' holiness contrasted with his own sinfulness. And he falls to his knees with smelly fish flopping all over him. And he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And I'm like, well, where is he going to go? He's in a boat. Like, is he going to swim away? No, it's depart from me. And this response, when man comes in the presence of God, is actually very common. We see it in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah's response, as he comes into the presence of the Lord, he falls to his knees and he says, Woe is me, I am undone. Other translations say, I am lost or I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the land of people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. Going back to the story, notice how Peter doesn't call him master. He calls him Lord. And as I was thinking about this, master represents someone who is in control, is dominant, is powerful. You think of a slave and a master and you obey out of duty, right? But here he calls him Lord. And I can imagine him thinking, Lord, my Lord. Lord, you rule over me. I'm giving you myself absolute surrender, not out of duty, but out of devotion. I believe this encounter is when Peter became saved. I'm going to go on the record and say it, all right? For his relationship with Jesus changed. It went from master to Lord. It went from knowing about Jesus to surrendering his life to Jesus. And guys, this is what it means to be a Christian. It's not about going to church or having knowledge about Jesus. It's about surrendering your life, your whole life to him. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. And here's just a question for you guys, just for reflection. In your own life, who is Jesus to you? In your own life, who is Jesus to you? I think everyone needs to ask that question. If you're honest with yourself, is he master where you obey out of duty and it's drudgery? Or is he Lord where you obey and you love him because of devotion? And just when you think the story can't get any better, it does. So here's Peter at at the feet of Jesus. And I can imagine Jesus kneeling down and he lifts up Peter's face and he locks eyes with him. And he says, do not be afraid. From now on, Peter, you're going to catch men. You will catch men. Mic drop. And I was thinking about that and I was just kind of reflecting of why do you think Jesus said, do not be afraid. Did he say it because the boat is sinking? And we're not good swimmers and we're in trouble. Like, don't be afraid. The boat's sinking. I don't think so. Did he say, do not be afraid because he's the God of the universe. And just with his holiness and his presence, he could obliterate us because we're finite, weak, feeble men. No, I, I don't think that. 
I think he said, do not be afraid because he knew that Peter's life from the very beginning of his age was characterized by fear. I think he's speaking into his life, all right? And here's, here's why I think that. We get glimpses of Peter's uh, being afraid, his fear, from other places in Scripture, right? When he's walking on the water, he sees the winds and the waves, takes his eyes off Jesus, and he gets scared, right? By the way, we should all be scared if we're walking on water, right? At least I would be, all right? And he starts to sink. He says, you have little faith. Another place is when Peter denies Jesus three times. All right, the servant girl says, hey, aren't you, Peter, aren't you one of the disciples? I think I saw you. Peter's like, no, 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 that's not me. You must be thinking of someone else. And then another person, no, I saw you in the boat. Like, you're Peter, like, of Galilee, like, you're a disciple. You're with Jesus. No, 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 that's not me. He was fearful of man. Even when the church started, the church of Christ started, and Peter is uh, with the Jews and the Gentile, and the gospel was for everyone. And Peter, afraid of the Jews, decided not to associate with the Gentiles when they are in public. He would just eat with the Jews. And Paul had to come and rebuke him because that's not the gospel of Jesus, that the, the gospel is for everyone. He was fearful of man. So I think when it says, do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men, uh, Jesus was speaking into Peter's insecurity and casting the grander vision of his, upon his life. He's like, you think this is great? Wait till I get a hold of you. Think of the stories you're going to be tell- telling. You think the 150 large fish is, is great? You're going to catch thousands and thousands. You're going to be my literal instrument to bring about my kingdom. Peter, do not be afraid. And it says that they rode back, the disciples rode back to the shore, and they left everything and followed him. What does it mean to leave everything? What did they leave? The obvious answer, right, is the fish, right? This fish was, I'm thinking, like a month's wage uh, for them. Like, it was a great haul, all right? And yet, they left everything. But I think there's more to that. They left their old way of life. They left their old habits and their old way of, uh, their old habits and routines, their old way of thinking and doing things. They left their status in, the, in their community, They left everything and followed him. See, they were fishermen. Now they are disciples of Jesus Christ. A band of ordinary, ragged, uneducated individuals who would go on to change the world because they believed the greater vision that the Lord spoke into their lives that day. From now on, you will catch men. Amen? Amen. Isn't the word of God great? It gets so rich. And church, um, there's a lot of different ways that I can go with the sermon to, to have practical application in our lives. But the Lord specifically put on my heart to go um, a direction that I don't think really gets talked a lot about. It's this idea 
that your life would be characterized by fishers of men. That the same prophetic words that Jesus spoke into Peter's life would be the same words that would define your life and what you do. That God will work so mightily in you and through you to catch men, to bring about the kingdom. So, what does it mean to be fishers of men? Now, you may be thinking, fishers of men, Eric, that's easy. Like, it means discipleship. Here at Grace Fellowship, like, we're known for discipleship. You know, we encourage people to join a community group and be around people and and grow in their faith. And and yes, we do. That is awesome. I highly recommend a community group. Um, But I think that's just a part of it, you know. And you may be thinking, well, we do biblical counseling, right? If someone's struggling with a particular sin, we, you know, direct them to biblical counseling, and I think that's, that's good, but that's a part of it. Some of you may be on the other side of the spectrum. It's like, oh, well, fishers of men, it means evangelism, right? Like it's sharing your faith. Pastor Brad encourages us to share our faith with our coworkers or at the gym or some of my favorite stories is, you know, on the airplane of as he's talking to people. And yes, that's great, but I think that's a part of it. Personally, when I think of fishers of men, I think of the Lord empowering you. Not someone else, but you to enter into a person's life with the sole hope of them coming to know Jesus better. That your heart's desire is for the life of Jesus to be exemplified and magnified in your life in such a way that people have no other choice to wonder, why do you have such an interest in me? Why do you love me? What's your motivations? To which she respond, because Jesus is Lord of my life. Think about Jesus' ministry here on earth. Comparatively, guys, like there wasn't a lot of converts. Like he didn't have a lot of converts, right? People followed him, but there's a lot of people that, that went the other way. Said, hey, that's too hard of a teaching. All right, I'm going to do my own thing. He didn't go into synagogues and recruit people to follow him who love God. No, he went to 12 ordinary men in their everyday life at their work, and he called them by name. They weren't religious leaders, or they weren't following Jesus at the time. They were ordinary men, and Jesus gave his life unto them. Because it was absolutely paramount that they get it. Because if they didn't, then it would stop at them. It was paramount that they understood Jesus' heart and his, his way of bringing about the kingdom. It was through them. It's estimated that Jesus spent 80% of his time, maybe more, for three years with these 12 men. They learned from him how he washed his hands, how he prayed, how he loved God, how he interpreted the scriptures. They were his disciples who would go on, this is important, to make disciples who make disciples. They were his disciples who would go on to make disciples who make disciples. And one of the best uh, examples I see in scripture of being fishers of men is actually in 2 Timothy 2.2. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy 2.2. I would highly encourage you to memorize this verse, especially um, if you 
are serious about this. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. It says this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So I'm going to need some help from you guys, all right? How many generations of people do we have in this? I saw three. Well, let's, let's do it together, all right? Who wrote this? Come on, guys. Pretend I'm Brad Bagley. Get, yeah, get that. Who wrote this? Paul, right? And who was it too? Timothy, right? His disciple. And what does he tell Timothy? And trust to who? Faithful men, reliable men. So Paul, Timothy, and trust to reliable men, what you've heard from me, who then what? Will, ab- will be able to teach others. Isn't that crazy? That's four. Paul, Timothy, reliable men, teach others. I'm not making this up. But here's the reality, guys. I don't see this happen that much. Just being honest with you. I don't see this happen. I think that in the American church, that we have lost the practice of fishing for men that most of us don't know how to because no one has taken the time to truly show us, let alone model it to us. I think the reality of the American church is this, that we are people that are far more comfortable to be in the crowds coming and going to hear Jesus teach as opposed to be truly disciples and leave everything and follow him. I'm going to say that again because it's like deep for me. I think the reality of the American church is that many of us prefer to be in the crowds to hear Jesus speak rather than being true disciples who have left everything to follow him. Here are some questions to ask yourself. And please know, this isn't coming from a heart of condemnation. This is a heart to try to illuminate scriptures and your plan or God's plan for your life, okay? But here are some questions to ask yourself, all right? Do you try and fit Jesus and God's work in your schedules or do you let him dictate your day? Do you wait until God brings someone to you or do you go after others to tell people about God? Are you willing to sacrifice your sleep to spend time with God? When is the last time that you gave your money away that it hurts? <laughs> that you're like, I don't know how we're going to pay this, but you know what? I want to trust the Lord. What do you do when you have leisure time? Do you watch TV? Do you scroll through your phone? I'm saying this as a conviction to myself. It's amazing how much time we spend on these devices. That's speaking to me. Or do you spend time with God? Are you serving anywhere? Are you on the sidelines? 
Are you in the game? Are you serving anywhere? Uh, this is a little plug. We have plenty of opportunities here at Grace Fellowship for you to serve, for you to volunteer, right? That date night would not have happened. I would have gone crazy if it was just me, right? We needed volunteers. We need people in various ministries, all right? We have needs. Love for you to get in the game and be a part of it. Here's a question that's pretty convicting. Who is following you? Who are you leading? Who is your fruit? See, there's this lie, and I think it's a very popular lie that plays Christians that goes like this. Unless we become full-time missionaries or we get on staff somewhere with a church, then we can do real ministry. All right, put that quotes, real ministry. Because I'm going to be honest, I don't know what that means. It's like, then you can get paid to help people? Like, no, you don't have to get on staff or be a full-time missionary. Like, you can do it now. But it's a lie that kind of keeps us on the sidelines. And I'm going to share with you guys, all right, one of the most life-changing realities that the Lord revealed to me at an early age And it changed my life forever. And I'm going to give it to you guys here today, all right? So, write this down. Remember this. It has a power to change your life. You ready? That's my building it up, by the way. All right. The ministry is Christ in you. Say again. Ministry... It's Christ in you. It's in you, Abby. It's in you, Jacob. It's in you, JP. It's in you, Brent. It's in you. It's not some random building. It's not some program that we need to create. It's in you. Christ in you. That is the hope of glory. You are a walking ministry. Here's what I mean, all right? Just follow along with me, okay? I promise you I'm staying true to scripture, okay? If you're a believer, a true believer, then you have the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God himself dwelling in you. Dwelling in you. Where you go, guess who goes? Come on, guys. God goes, That's life-changing. Where you go, God goes. He's here, right here, because of you all. Not because of this building, but because of you all. When you go to work, God goes. He's with you as you interact with your coworkers. He's with you as you go to school. As you teach, he's with you when you're at home all day with your kids and you feel like, what did I do today? Did anything happen? God's with you. He's with you where you go. You are not your own. Scripture says that you were bought with a price. And he dwells and he lives in you. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says, Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? 
2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16 says, For we are the aroma of Christ to those who are being saved, to those who are perishing. To one, we're the fragrance of life. To the other, we're the smell of death. And who is equal to such a task? We're the aroma of Christ. When people are around you, do they smell Jesus or do they smell you? I don't know about you, but I stink. All right? I do shower. What stinks is my own selfishness, my own stubbornness, my own pride, my own hardness of heart, my own envy and greed and lust and all the above. I don't want that. I'm not trying to recreate little Eric's. I hope you're not trying to recreate disciples of yourself. We're called to create disciples of Jesus Christ. But does he reign in your life? Do you care and seek out the things that God cares and seeks out? When Grace Fellowship approached me about this role as campus pastor, I took this job. I'm going to let you in uh, for a couple of reasons. One of the first reasons is this. I love grace. I want to hear the gospel each and every week. My family, we need it each and every week. Like we want to hear truth. But the motivating thing for me of taking this job was this idea that I wouldn't have to preach every week. All right, and I've been open with you guys about that. It takes me like 40 to 50 hours each week just to prepare a sermon. I want to spend my time fishing for men. That's my background. I want to spend my time on the ground, boots on the ground with you all, going after people, bringing them in, creating an amazing atmosphere. When people walk through their doors, they're going to feel loved. They're going to feel accepted. They're going to see the, the glory of God in Jesus Christ through worship, through teaching, through you. That's what I want to be about, right? And so when I hear people like Bethany come up here and say, you know, I was addicted uh, to drugs for a good part of my life, yet the Lord rescued me and he made me a new creation and now I can bring the word of God and hope to people who were struggling just like me back in the day. This is my ministry God used her misery and turned it into ministry for the glory of God, right? Two weeks ago, someone came up to me and said, hey, Eric, I just think there's a, a gap at Grace Fellowship. There's, there's just young professionals. And I just don't think that we have anything for them. Do you think we can do something? Do you guys know what my answer was? <laughs> if you know me, you probably do. I'm like, absolutely, let's do it. But we're not going to create a program at Grace of, you know, young professionals for Grace, everyone join. No. What can I do to empower you to be as effective, to reach people and meet with them and the hope of Christ going with you? What do you need from me? I want to support you. And right after that, another person came up to me and they're like, hey, Eric, what if we were to do like a huge service project uh, in the community of independence? Right, some churches do that. I think it's great, you know. Um, I'm not forcing that on anybody, but I'm like, that's awesome. Let's do it. But you plan it, you prepare it, and I'll come along and support you. You want the mayor's contact info? Let's call him right now. 
Like, we'll put the mayor on the phone, and we'll figure out ways to support. Literally, I would do that right then and there. Like, no, like, let's do it. And regardless, if 10 people show up, or 20 people, or maybe even 50 people, even if one person shows up, as long as you're being faithful, and you're being obedient to the Lord, that's what pleases him. That's what pleases him. I shared with you guys of just kind of this initiative of the marriage ministry. And I, I shared from the stage that there was a couple that uh, a while ago that reached out to me and said, uh, we haven't been on a date in eight years. That moved some of you guys. Because after the sermon, people came up to me and said, hey, Eric, I just want to donate $100. Just bless how you see fit. And it wasn't just one. It was three families that did that. They empowered me to go and be a blessing. And so I got to call and I felt like it was just Christmas day. Hey, I want you to know that God loves you. And you just were put on my heart. Literally, I, I prayed and the Lord put these families on my heart and I said, I just want to bless you with a meal and a date. Here's $100. What? Eric, we can't take that. No, no, seriously. Like, <laughs> I want to give you $100 to just go on a date. I know things are tough. Just know that you're not forgotten. Oh, they're bawling. That's awesome, right? That's the hands and feet of Jesus. I know there's a family here, all right? And I'm not saying this happens all the time, but I just love where it was like the Lord's blessed them financially. And they're like, you know what? We want to give sacrificially. And so they gave a large check. And I'm saying large check. And we were able to bless a family with their medical bills that were literally like mind-blowing of how much this person's been uh, just at the hospital. And I said, I don't want to give just money. I'm not about that. I'm not about giving handouts. Could you write a letter? Because God is using you and put that on your heart. And I want them to know where it came from. It's not from just Grace Fellowship. It came from the Lord. So will you just write a message and let them know their worth in Jesus Christ? Let them know the gospel? And it was awesome. It was amazing to see that. And please know of like, I'm so thankful for you guys. There's so many of you that are doing ministry that, that want to give everything and follow him. Like, I am proud to just be your pastor and, and be on the, this, um, you know, the ground level with you guys. But I do think there's, there's many of you that need pushing. There's many of you that no one has ever come alongside of you and cast vision of who you could be in Christ. And it breaks my heart because you're missing out. You're missing out. God has such a great plan. He wants to use you in powerful ways. Get in the game. Literally three, actually it's four weeks ago, the Lord, uh, we have a lot of new families coming because of COVID and uh, they aren't connected anywhere. And so I have, you know, pockets of families that I know. And I'm like, oh, this would be a great community group. We need to start a community group. My first question is like, should I do another community group? Literally, my wife and I, we've had conversations. And she's like, oh, I don't know, Eric. So I'm like, maybe I'll do two community groups. I was like, no, we got people. 
the Lord put this family on my heart, and specifically this guy. And I gave him a call on my way home, all right, randomly, sporadic Eric, gave him a call and said, hey, you're the guy. You're my next community group leader. And I knew he was timid. I knew he was scared. I was like, you've been coming to Grace for 12 years. You've been a Christian even longer. Why aren't you a community group leader? You are awesome. People would love to be around you. You have so much to give. Do you believe that? No, I don't. I'm like, well, that's a lie, right? Like, you need to, you know, go to your identity in Christ. You have so much to give because all you're given is Jesus, right? We want the aroma of Christ. And, and so we talked about his fears and, and things that he was scared of. And I was able to cast vision and pour into his life, not Eric's vision, but the word of God. And they're going to lead a community group. And guess what? It's going to be filled the first day they start. And you know what I'm most excited about, guys? I'm excited, not because of all those people. I'm excited for them. Please know I'm excited for the other people too. I'm excited for them because no one's ever challenged them. And they're going to be used by God in such a way that their lives are going to be changed forever. They're going to look back at life at their time at grace and they're going to be like, do you remember when God used us? Do you remember how we carry each other's burdens and we prayed and it was hard, but it was good. And this person came to know the Lord through our community group. Like we were used by God. We were in the game and they're going to have to rely on Jesus even more than what they're doing because they're going to feel weak. But when you're weak, you're actually strong. So I love you because I'm going to say this, are you comfortable? Maybe you need to get uncomfortable. Because when you're uncomfortable, you can't rely on yourself. You have to rely on Jesus. All right, I'm sorry. I am way over. (laughs) This happened first service. Um, All right, let me share this too. Cast vision amongst Grace Fellowship Independence. This has been my heart ever since we started. Can you imagine if we truly bought into this idea of everyone being fishers of men? Not just some of us, not just the elite, but everyone being fishers of men. Can you imagine the life that would permeate through our walls, through this church. I love this campus. I love the intimate nature of it, of knowing uh, people. But hear me out. I am not about, nor do I see in the Bible, that we all just create holy huddles and we put our arms around each other and we just keep this just to ourselves. We got a good thing here. Let's, let's keep it just for ourselves and stiff arm everyone coming. That's not the gospel, nor is it the heart of Father, nor is it me. I believe what I see in scripture is, yes, we have this tight-knit community, but we're on mission together. And so instead of just us, it's just us, turn around. We're all together, but we're all facing outward. Who are we going to go fish for? And you go after this person and you bring him. You have to see this community. You have to be around these believers. We have life and life to the full. We have Jesus. Like it should be attractive to the world. Oh, over there. Hey, go get that person. Go bring him in. Bring him in. Bring him in. 
But it's this outward focus as we're loving people within. I hope this excites you. I really do. Because it excites me and I would love to be a part of it. But I can't do it all myself. We need all hands on deck. The next part of my sermon, I had three pages of practical ways to just fish for men. I'm not going to bore you guys with that. Hopefully it won't be boring. I'm not going to talk about that. But I am going to give you the most important way that you can be fishers of men. The most important thing you can do to be effective. All right? You ready? It's this. That you, you would fall more in love with your Savior, Jesus Christ. I can give you all the practicals, all a list of things to do, but the most important is that you would fall more in love with your Savior, Jesus Christ. There's this reality, guys. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. If you haven't spent time with the Lord, if you uh, don't know his words, why do you expect to be used by God? It's like, I don't know you. Whatever you're doing, like, stop. Like, I encourage you, literally, like, stop. And just take, like, a day away with God. Like, ask whoever you need to do. Maybe you take a personal day from work. It's okay to do it for the Lord. And just get right with him. Enjoy his presence, right? It's devotion, not duty. Figure out what's holding you back and surrender your life to him. That's what's beautiful. That's what's attractive is your love for him because it just oozes out. It oozes out. I think of Acts 4, 13. It's with Peter and John, and they are in the midst of uh, the religious leaders, right? The, the council. And it says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized, this is the best part, they recognized that these men have been with Jesus. That these men have been with Jesus. You can imagine Peter and John, their eyes just lit up. The boldness came out. They couldn't stop talking about Jesus because he's real. They experienced the risen, resurrected Christ, right? They ate with him. They talked with him. They touched him. Like, Jesus is alive. You can't keep me down. Like, you're not going to prevent me from talking about Jesus. He's my savior. And there is no other name by which you must be saved besides Jesus, and they couldn't stop it because their message was compelling because it was truth and they believed it and followed him. The best thing you can do is fall more in love with Jesus.